0: These things set you up so that, you know, those hours you are at work or the hours you are coaching or the hours you're with your family, you're truly present versus just kind of half there all the time.
1: Welcome to How Do You Feel, a podcast with info and inspo to help you tune in to your fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I'm your host, Casey Zavalletta, and together we'll explore how we can optimize our physical and mental health so that we radiate positivity and happiness from the inside out. Hi, guys. Welcome to the podcast. If you're new to the podcast, then welcome. I'm so glad that you found it. If you are a regular listener, then welcome back. I am coming off of a pretty intense weekend. I was in Ann Arbor for a nutritional therapy practitioner workshop. I'm in a program to become an NTP, and we have three different workshops that are in-person, intensive, learning some hands-on assessments. So I have that feeling, I don't know if you guys have ever been to a conference or these sort of intensive certifications. But I have that feeling where my brain is completely fried from trying to put in new information into it for three days straight, but I also have that excited energy learning just makes me so excited about the prospects of the new knowledge and what i can do with it and how i can take it to implement it with my clients and the excitement of being able to in a few months take on nutrition clients and what that will do for me as a professional and what that can add to my arsenal so so many feelings going on it's been amazing It's been a little bit insane. I've been traveling all over the place. If you follow me on Instagram, you may have seen this on my story, but I think I calculated that in the last month, I have been in 11 different cities and I have stayed the night in 15 separate locations. So needless to say, I feel like a little bit of a crazy person, but that's part of the reason why I posted the podcast that I posted last week about my top 10 holiday hacks and wellness tips for these times of year when you're just all over the place and your schedule demands a lot of you. And now we're going into the holidays where, for me, life isn't going to slow down. My parents are divorced and Eric's parents are divorced, which means that we have four separate Christmases to hit during the holiday season, and we really care about seeing everybody. So we make an effort to go to all of those places and see those people. So It makes our lives a little bit hectic over the holiday season, but worth it. So if you haven't gotten a chance to listen to that podcast I released last week, this is the time of year that you're definitely going to want to listen to that and put some of those tools in your own toolbox. But for this week's episode, I am so excited to finally share this one with you guys. I recorded this episode a couple of months back, so I've been sitting on it for a little bit and trust me, I've been sitting on the edge of my seat waiting to release it. I got the chance to speak with Mike Robertson this week, and Mike is somebody that I've known for a little while now, and I am just always learning from him. I'm eternally impressed by how he's taken his experiences, he's been in the fitness industry for 20-some years, how he takes his experiences and synthesizes them into These bits of information that are just so useful for trainers and for people that are just interested in fitness alike. He's someone that puts out such amazing content on his website, in his own podcast, through videos, through certifications, so much good stuff. So if you don't know of Mike Robertson yet, then definitely go check him out. He's honestly one of the most highly sought-after coaches, consultants, speakers, and writers in the fitness industry today. He's known for his no-nonsense approach to training and brutal efficiency. Mike has made a name for himself as a go-to resource for professional athletes in every major sport. The reason that I got introduced to him is because Eric trained with him for a couple of his off-seasons when he was staying in Indianapolis. Mike is the president of Robertson Training Systems and the co owner of IFAST, or Indianapolis Fitness and Sports Training in Indianapolis, Indiana. IFAST has been named one of the top 10 gyms in America by Men's Health Magazine three times in the past six years. Mike currently coaches a handful of professional athletes during their offseason and is the physical preparation coach for Indy 11, the pro soccer team in Indianapolis. Like I said, guys, Mike is somebody that I look up to so much. I was so grateful to have the chance to go on his podcast, which is called the Physical Preparation Podcast. If you didn't get a chance to check out our episode, then that's another thing for you to go look up. But I really was so thankful that Mike took the time to come on How Do You Feel this week. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this episode with Mike Robertson. Hi, Mike. It's so nice to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming on.
0: Thanks for having me, Casey. I'm excited to be here.
1: Yeah, for sure. We're doing a little role reversal this time as I came That's on right. yours a couple months ago. And now I'm excited to have you on as the guest on How Do You Feel?
0: Yes. Well, thank you. It's been weird because I've done a couple here lately. I feel like I ha- hadn't been on any podcast in forever. And I've recorded like three where I'm on this side of the uh, show. So it's been fun, though.
1: Cool. That's great. Okay, so I want to start. I'm just curious who you are as a coach. I want to know what's important to you and what you feel like you do really well.
0: Let's start with what I feel like I do really well. I feel like the thing that got me by early on, and this may seem odd for a male, but I don't feel like I was a great technical coach early on. And I got by a lot based on my soft skills, my empathy, and my ability to connect more emotionally with a lot of my clients. So that served me really well early on because again i didn't have a great technical skill set that allowed me to create these really strong bonds and allowed me to grow into becoming a better coach so that kind of leads me to you know what kind of coach am i you know i'd like to think i am the best blend that i can be of hard and soft skills mm-hmm. and anybody that tells you you only need one or the other is horribly flawed you know they're never going to be successful because We've seen the hard skills coach that, you know, can recite everything from every textbook they've ever read and they've got five PhDs, but they can't have a conversation with any of their clients and therefore they're not successful. And we've also seen the people that are just wildly connected and emotional and they know how to create empathy and create strong relationships, but they don't ultimately get the success that they want because they don't have the hard skills in place. So I think everybody is a mix of those two. And you got to find the mix that works best for you. But I don't know, I don't know if there's like a number of percentage that you want. But I mean, I, it's just I'm the blend of hard and soft skills that works best for me as a coach at this point.
1: I feel like those soft skills are often underestimated. And their importance. Yes. A lot yeah. of people in the fitness industry can get really honed in on the details and the exact cues and, you know, pro, the, the nuances of programming, but we forget that at the end of the day, if you don't make an emotional connection to your client, that relationship won't be there, and therefore the successes yep. won't be there.
0: No, you're absolutely right, and I think it was a, a direct result of, you know, like information is so readily accessible now. Like if you want to know the five best exercises for back pain, you Google it or you go on Instagram. So there's so much information out there; it's very easy to just go in and digest and assimilate all of this this technical information. But a lot of the emotional stuff is either stuff that you've generally acquired over the years um, or it's things that you have to work on and you have to build. And I think for a lot of us, it takes time to kind of understand, okay, yeah, I need the X and O's piece, but I need to be able to create a connection with this person. I need to relate to them. I need to understand where they're coming from. And once you do that, it makes everything that you do so much easier.
1: Mm -hmm, For sure. What would you attribute to learning the hard skills, as you would say.
0: Yeah, for me, at least early on, it was just this laser-like focus. Um, I think it bordered on obsession for a (laughs) while. Um, I think a lot of us that that aspire to be really good in this industry or any industry have some blend of perfectionism, OCD, chip on our shoulder. We just want to be great for whatever reason. I think that really drove me early on I wanted to be the best possible coach. I wanted to give my athletes, my clients success that maybe I didn't have. Like I didn't have a strength coach growing up. So my first introduction to strength and conditioning was like doing 200 box jumps my first day. And, you know, like, oh, that's going to make you jump higher. And didn't realize, oh, it's probably not. So for (laughs) me, I always wanted to have an answer. And I looked at it as if I didn't have an answer, that was something new I could dive into and learn about. So for me, it was always trying to have better answers for the people that I worked with because I just, I deeply care about the, the clients and athletes that I work with and I want to get them the best possible training results. So it was almost like um, this servitude type thing. Like I wanted to know the answer for myself, but even more importantly, I wanted to know the answers for them so I could give them the results that I felt like they deserved.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. In the fitness industry, Um, it's interesting because even up here in Toronto, I can say your name now and people know about you and about your programs, about your podcast. So from your perspective now, how have you been able to make a name for yourself in the fitness industry?
0: Yeah, and this is a a tough one to answer. Like part of it was luck Uh, and, and I'll throw another Canadian name out there. So my guy, John Berardi in 2003, I met him at a fitness seminar. It wasn't even a fitness seminar. It was a nutrition seminar I went to mm-hmm. with my wife uh, that he happened to be speaking at. I decided, look, I know this guy. I've read his stuff on T Nation. I want to meet him. So Jess and I go. We got there like 20 minutes early. He was still setting up. And he just sat down and started talking to me. And after about 10, 15 minutes, he's like, all right, I got to go give my talk. But if you ever want to write for T Nation, you can use me as like a reference. And again, this is dating me a little bit because it's 16 years ago. But T Nation at the time was like the mecca of great training information. It was just amazing strength coaches from around the world that were contributing. And so that really gave me a platform that quite frankly, I don't know if I deserved at the time, but I'd like to think I worked my way into to earning that job. And then from there, I don't know if I've done anything like one thing that has been, oh, this is a home run. This got me a hundred thousand followers on Instagram or anything like that. But I think it's just been just diligence and consistency over the years and those aren't sexy answers especially when you're getting fed ads now of oh get 5,000 new followers in the next two weeks but I think just that consistency to my craft and into producing content that benefits people and there's no real it's not even really a two-way street like other than the fact I enjoy doing it like I never ask people to pay me for that information right like I create content because I enjoy it because I enjoy educating people, because I enjoy teaching what I've learned. You know, I think the consistency is is what has really paid off because ever since 2003, I mean, I've written articles, I've created videos, I've recorded 200 some podcasts. Like if you go and you want to learn something, I'd like to think I've written an article or shot a video about it at some point in time. So it's just that consistency over time pays off to bigger dividends down the line. So it hasn't been one specific thing. It's just that aggregate of consistency and hard work over the years. I think that it's kind of got me to where I'm at now.
1: Yeah, I have always been impressed by your ability to put out so much content and so much good content. It all feels relevant and it all feels purposeful. Yeah. It's hard sometimes. I feel like sometimes it's easy to lose the motivation to to putting stuff out there when you're not necessarily seeing the, the results from it.
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah, I totally get it. And so back in the day when like blogging was the thing, what I used to always tell people that wanted to get started online was expect to write a blog for about 50 weeks and maybe your significant other, your boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, husband, whatever, them and your mom are about the only two people who are going to read it. And if you can do that for 50 weeks and be okay with it, chances are you're going to be successful because you'll keep putting it out there. And if it's high quality, people will consume it. Right. But, but you make a great point as far as like just being consistent. And I think one of the issues people struggle with, with consistency is they make it too hard on themselves. So as a young coach, it's easy to think, well, I don't have anything to say or, you know, like, look, we didn't have anything to say about squatting like 15, 20 years ago. Right. But yet there's still videos about how to squat or a squat technique or a squat cue. So what I always tell people is if you want to start creating content and and make it meaningful and impactful you have so much in the bank already that you haven't even thought of like the conversation you just had with your stay at home mom this morning about you know the best type of cardio or whatever like that's a video or that's an article or you know this cue that worked for you on the squat like that's a video or that's an article like don't overthink it like find stuff that's relevant because if you talk about that those are things that are relevant to everybody Mm -hmm. Because all of our clients, all of our athletes are struggling with the same things. It's just finding a way to put your own unique spin on it and be authentic to yourself that'll make you stand out.
1: Mm -hmm. That is such good insight. I can really relate to that and this sort of mindset shift to... Oh, well, even the small things, even the thing that I just did this morning to set myself up for the day, that could be something I could share with people to, to help them. It doesn't have to be this, this massive training philosophy, right? It's the little Absolutely. things. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. It's not like this one hour tutorial on all of the things squat. Like nobody's going to watch that anyways. Right? Like a lot of times if you're on Instagram, you're just flipping. So, you know, Hey, it's this, Hey, here's this little tip or this little trick that I used with Debbie this morning at 6am and it cleaned her squat up, and maybe it'll work for you too. Done. Yeah, don't totally. overthink it.
1: Totally. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you've made along the way, and what have you learned from them?
0: Oh, my gosh. So I don't know how long we could go on this podcast, but I could, <laughs> I could go on for hours. So one thing that I love to do when I'm introing a concept or an idea is explain why I do this now and how I screwed it up in the past. Um, and I'll give you one thing that I really feel like I screwed up over the years. And that is this idea of taking my training bias and imposing it on my clients. So the perfect example was from 2000 to 2005, when I was first getting into the industry, I was obsessed with powerlifting. I had played sports my whole life. I'd played intramural sports in college, and I needed some sort of competitive outlet. I also knew that you know, a dude that squats 185 probably isn't like the most imposing strength coach. And that was the day of like huge, imposing, strong strength coaches. So I thought, okay, I killed two birds with one stone here. I get stronger. I learn more about strength and conditioning. So for me, powerlifting was like this competitive outlet that helped me become a better coach. It helped me improve my self-confidence. The problem was I assumed that if anybody wanted to get in shape, they needed to do the power lifts. Oh, so you want to lose fat? Perfect. We're going to base your program around squatting, benching, deadlifting. Oh, you want to run faster? Perfect. I got a squat bench deadlift program that'll work for you. So it was like taking this bias for my own training and imposing it on that of my clients and athletes. So I think that's something a lot of us tend to do, especially when we're younger. Part of it, because we don't have like, we don't have enough experience. We don't have a filter yet. um, And we know what works for us. And we assume that'll work for others. But I think that was one of the biggest things that I did was just trying to take what worked for me and apply it to everybody else without looking at it through a lens of, okay, but what do these people actually need to be successful? Not what do I want them to do or what do I enjoy doing? What do they need to do to be successful and to get the most out of their training to help them achieve their goals? Mm-hmm. So that is one of many, but that's one of the most prevalent ones that comes to my mind is, is taking my training bias and forcing it on the people that I worked with.
1: Yeah, it's such an important shift. And it is one that that is challenging for new coaches, I think, but to stop thinking about it from in in terms of your fitness and your experience and to really shift and think about it, Uh what, who is this client? What do they need? Where are they coming from? What are their specific goals as opposed to what are my goals for my client? Right?
0: Right, right. And, and I just think about part of it too, is just the time of when I came up. There was just so much like machismo and bravado around training. And it was, it was very much about like either you're an Olympic lifting group or you're a powerlifting group and kettlebells weren't really a thing. Mm-hmm. So it's like a goblet squat wasn't a thing when I started, you know, like oh, all these, entr- imagine. Like, well, right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Right. So it's like the progressions that we used to get somebody to squat well now, like that wasn't a thing. Like you front squatted or you back squatted. Mm -hmm. Or if something was broken, you would maybe safety bar squat, but even those weren't a big deal back then. So it's just the evolution of our industry has made it so much better. And it's allowed us to customize what we do with our clients and athletes. But yeah, I mean, back in the day, it's like, oh, well, okay. You're going to do what I'm going to do because I'm the coach and I know what's best for you versus like you said, like, let's figure out, let's figure out what program is going to best fit you and your body. And it's going to help you achieve your goals in the fastest and most effective manner possible. Mm -hmm,
1: Definitely. I feel like it's very common as fitness professionals that we get new clients coming to us that are very frustrated. Mm -hmm. They feel like they've tried everything and nothing's worked and they just feel a little bit beaten down. Where do you start with a client like that and what kinds of things do you tell them?
0: So I look at it, really there's there's two levels to this, right? The first is like the emotional side of it. And the second is like the confidence side in the gym. So coming back to that idea of of empathy and supporting people emotionally, this is something that I feel like is really important. It's not talked about all that often, but you have to support somebody in this situation and you have to step into their shoes and really just imagine like, look, and this person's been trying to lose weight for two years and they haven't had success. Like imagine if that were you and imagine how frustrated you know, and upset you would be. And you'd probably have a lot of issues build up behind that. So you have to put yourself in their shoes. You have to connect with them emotionally and just say, look, I get it. Like I would be frustrated too. And and that comes through immediately, right? If you can really envision that, you're going to connect with them. So you start with the emotional side. But then the second piece is when you do get them in the gym, you've got to start building their confidence on day one. You've got to find ways for them to feel successful. And sometimes too, like you and i both know there are legitimate issues why somebody may not lose weight right away right and sometimes too they're like reconstituting for lack of a better term right the scale's not showing it but you know they're leaner and their clothes fit better but sometimes that's still not equated as a win to them so you have to find ways to build confidence in the gym and so you know it's very client dependent but i want them to feel successful in the exercises that i choose I want them to feel like they're progressing. So in some cases, I'm going to hedge my bet. I'm going to underwhelm them at first, whether with exercise selection, load, that sort of thing. So I can be like the the motivator guy. Like I'm not like a rah-rah type of coach generally, but like, oh man, you're crushing this. Let's go on to the next level. So immediately you get some positive momentum because the worst thing is somebody comes in with no momentum and then you overwhelm them and then they start going backwards again. It's like, trying to drag up the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> you're just not going to see the success that you want. So I think it's two parts. You, you support them emotionally and you, you validate them and where they're at and understand their frustrations. And then you find ways to start building confidence and building positive momentum in the gym. And if you can do those two things, and then they're doing what they need to outside of the gym, then hopefully you're going to see some success.
1: Awesome. I love that. Celebrating those small wins, those small successes yes. is so important.
0: Yes. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like now sometimes we get so caught up in the 90 day goal or the big goal and you don't celebrate. Oh, well, yeah, you want to lose 50 pounds, but Hey, you lost your two pounds this week. Like celebrate, like, don't go out and eat eat your way back up two more pounds. (laughs) You know what I mean? But like celebrate the fact like, that's awesome. Like Mm -hmm. that's a process oriented goal. So now, Hey, let's, let's get another one or two next week. Like let's stay on track. So celebrating those wins is so important and just generating that momentum. And I think especially with gen pop clients, momentum is something that's vastly underrated. But if you can get momentum working for you, it's so much easier to get the results that you want.
1: Yeah, for sure. So you work a decent amount with general population clients, but you also work a lot with athletes. Yep. So I'm curious how you train athletes that might be a little bit different than the way that they may have been used to training historically and what kinds of things you want to teach them.
0: Yeah. So this is such a good question because I think a lot of times when it comes to athletes, we're still mired in this concept that it's just about lifting weights, Right versus i look at it very much as what is the end goal like what do they need to be able to do on a field on a court on a pitch to be successful and then you know reverse engineering may not be the be-all end-all but it's a good place to start okay so what do they need to be able to do on a field to be successful and then how can i re- reverse engineer that and maybe it's in the gym maybe it's doing specific movement based training with speed work or bands or whatever, you know, prowlers, that sort of thing so that I can build them into what I need them to do. So for me, it's been very liberating because as a person that came up in powerlifting, again, here's that bias again, right? It's like strength is everything, weights are everything to move away from that and say, okay, but wait, like how strong does this guy really need to be to be a great soccer player or to be a great basketball player? So strength is one element of athleticism, but there's also speed, agility, quickness, conditioning, injury resiliency. So when you start to look at it from that perspective, it really kind of widens your scope and your perspective and it makes you so much more creative. So I think that's one thing that I've definitely evolved over the last six to eight years is I've gotten away from weights will fix everything because weights do have a place, right? And strength training has a place, but it's not the only thing that you need to develop a well-rounded athlete. So not totally sure if that answers your question, but hopefully that gives you some insight as to how things have changed or how, where I'm at now.
1: Yeah, definitely. I know you've worked with soccer players. You've worked with my husband, Eric. You've yep. worked with basketball players, football players. Could you give us some examples of some types of things that you would, would do with those athletes that you believe translate to their specific sport?
0: Yeah, so this is a great one. And if you know anything about kind of how we set up our programs, we use what's called like this R7 approach to training. And all it does is each step of the program gives you the client or athlete an idea or an indication as to what we're doing. So like R1 is release. So that's our soft tissue work, foam rolling, lacrosse ball, whatever. Well, I'd say the big thing that, that I emphasize nowadays and what really delineates a lot of the sports specific programming is the R4, right? The R4, which is the reactive or the explosive piece and then the R6, which is the conditioning. The weights, a lot of it looks similar, right? We want people to be able to squat and press and pull and hinge and do all those things. The loads may be different, right? Like a defensive tackle in football is going to look a lot different than a midfielder in soccer, and that's okay. But the, the movement piece and then the conditioning piece, I think, are, are where you see the most distinctions. So when it comes to the movement piece, I'm always trying to reproduce what they're going to do on the pitch or on the court to some degree. So in soccer, there's a lot of change of direction. There's a lot of straight ahead sprinting. And one thing I can tell you is that in the preseason or in the off season, as they go into preseason, we're going to try and get some high velocity running in because hamstring pulls are going to cost you generally at minimum four, but generally more like six to eight weeks. So I know that going in. So I've got to expose them to some high intensity speed work, get them exposed to that versus basketball. Yeah, they're going to sprint, but it's nowhere near the same distance. They're going to do a lot of change of direction, a lot of shuffling, hip turns, crossover steps, things that basically help them play better defense. Right in football, maybe they're pushing a weighted sled. So, like, I'm working with a really big guy, like 300 pound dude. He's pushing a heavy sled because that's what he's going to do. He's going to run into somebody and try and push him backwards. Mm-hmm. So that's what's fun about that is trying to break down. Okay, what do they need to be successful? And then how do I create a movement or explosive-based program that's going to mimic what they do. And then on the back end with the conditioning, all right, soccer is very endurance-based. So they need a tremendous amount of capacity because, especially at the professional level, like Eric plays, there's three subs. And he plays on the back line, so they probably don't want to sub him out if they don't have to. So I have to prepare him to play for a 90-minute game. And that's a lot different than my defensive tackle, who's going to go as hard as he can for four to five seconds and then get a 30-second break but he may have to do that eight to 10 times before he gets a break. So that's what I love about what I do. It's, it's taking these people, it's learning more about their game, how they move, and then creating a program that helps support them. It takes their strengths and magnifies them while minimizing as, as many of their weaknesses as possible. So we create the best version of them that we possibly can.
1: Awesome. It's all so cool and interesting. I love yeah. that.
0: Uh, it's, that's why I do what I do, man. It's just, I'm obsessed with this stuff. So.
1: Yeah. Um, we've talked a little bit about programming. You're touching on it yeah. a bit. But in your opinion, what do you think are the three most important aspects of programming? And you don't have to narrow it down to three. That's kind of Yeah. Hard
0: yeah. No, three. Let me see what I can do here. Mm-hmm. I would say number one is finding some way to progressively overload people. Right. And there's a lot of ways you can take that. Right. So sometimes it's just purely, can you add weight to the bar? But there's, there's other ways to progress somebody. So maybe it's not just overload, but finding ways to progress somebody over time, whether it's with load, whether it's with complexity of the movement, whether it's with regard to the levers involved. So like core training, maybe you're not adding load, but you're making a longer lever. So finding some way to constantly progress people, I think is really important. Number two, I think is defining what your version of movement quality is. And here's what I mean by that. I think all of us can say movement quality is important. You say movement quality is important. I do too. But we may have different concepts of what that means. All right. So I think getting really clear as to what good movement quality is and then striving to get all of our clients and athletes to adhere better to that is really important.
1: That's such a good point that like we say this movement quality, quote unquote, but yeah, I don't know. That could be that could be very different from one coach looking at a movement to another Absolutely. looking at a
0: movement. Absolutely. So the way I coach a squat for an athlete is totally different than I would probably coach it for a power lifter, whose mm. only goal is to move as much weight as possible with no concept for time. It's just a different lift than the mm. way I would coach it for somebody that wants to run faster or jump higher. And then the final piece I would say is, again, there's this like emotional element to it, but It's making sure that when you're in the gym, your clients and athletes feel successful. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in the fact of, oh, it's a great program. Oh, I coached them up. Like, that was a great session. But flip it around. Like, did they have a great session? And getting their perspective on it. And so that's something that I think is really important for us. Um, It can be daunting at times to, to solicit that kind of feedback or to get somebody to tell us what they thought of a session. But I think at the end of the day, they have to feel successful. And that's even more important than whether we check the box of Oh, they were successful today. Like they have to feel like that was a good use of their time.
1: For sure. And we have to realize that as coaches, sometimes the things that we get excited about are not the same things that clients are getting excited about.
0: Yeah. Like, like some people are all about movement quality and don't care at all about load. And other people are the exact opposite. So you got to kind of meet them where they're at, but then kind of s- steer them and make sure that they don't get too far off the path. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you?
1: Yeah. Do you ask for feedback from your clients on their ses- sessions? Like do you yeah. have a way to open up that line of conversation?
0: Yeah. Sometimes it's direct, but a lot of times it's you can pick up on it just from the energy of the session, you know, their engagement level, the interactions you're having in between sets, like, I think if you do it long enough, you can kind of gauge whether it's a good session or not, right? Um, so there, but there are times it's like, hey man, you know, like how you feel on, um, what do you feel like we need to work on? So it depends on where the client's at, what kind of mood they're in that day. But absolutely, I'll ask them like, hey, how do you feel like this is going? Are you happy with where you're at? What would you like to see going forward? I think mm-hmm. it's maybe not, it, it's hard early on to have some of those conversations because it's like any relationship. Right. You're kind of like a little bit defensive and leery, but as you grow, as you get to know somebody better, you can have those open conversations and just say, Hey, look, like, look, I want you to get the most out of this. Like, what do you feel like you need to be more successful? And when you have that kind of conversation, you have that level of openness and honesty with a client. Now you can really see some progress.
1: Yeah, for sure. One of my favorite things that I've started doing after, as I'm writing the next program for someone, is I start asking some of those questions, I say, yeah. what did you like? What did you not like? What are your specific goals? Have they shifted? How do you feel about the challenge level of the sessions? And just actually asking some of those things, you can get a lot of good information yeah. and the client feels like they're a part of the process now.
0: It's It's so huge. And it's something that I've really tried to do more of because at this point, I work almost exclusively with high level athletes. And sometimes I've got them for months, sometimes I've got them for a week. So when you've only got a week, you kind of got to be on your A game. And so what I don't want to do, because a lot of times people view us as movement specialists or whatever, and it's kind of like cerebral. Well, that's true. But I also want people to feel like, hey, we're still training. So what I'll try and do a lot of times is early on, if I've got somebody that's new, I'll say, hey, what are some exercises that you like to do? And it's a simple question, but if I can find ways to incorporate stuff that they enjoy doing and maybe put a tweak on it or coach them up on it a little bit better, now, like you said, now they're more bought in. They're like, oh, this guy's listening. He wants me to get a good result. So I'm more willing to do some of this other stuff that may not be as sexy or as exciting because he listened to me because I feel like he's going to help me get better.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes total sense. I'm curious if you could tell me about a, we're going to get kind of specific here, but if you could tell me about a specific lift or exercise that you often see done or coached poorly in the gym, Mm -hmm. I want to know what it is and then how you would coach someone through it.
0: Okay. So I'm going to use, again, we talked a lot about squatting. So I will use that example because I think a lot of times the way people are coached to squat isn't the best way for a gen pop client or an athlete to learn how to squat. So the traditional squat is taught in a lot of cases by powerlifters, right? And it makes sense because these are the strongest human beings. They squat the most weight. So why wouldn't we listen to them? A traditional back squat is, you know, barbell on your back. Everything is tight on the backside. You're arched hard. You sit way back. You can move an impressive amount of weight that way but the downside is it limits your depth to some degree. It can put a lot of pressure on your lower back and can put pressure on your hips. So not to say that's bad, if your goal is to lift as much weight as humanly possible. But I think for a lot of our gen pop clients and our athletes, a lot of times I'm gonna coach a little bit softer setup. So what I'll do, and let's use instead of a back squat, cause it's really hard to back squat effectively the way I want you to. That's why a lot of times we'll opt for a front squat or a two-kettlebell front squat, or a goblet squat. So imagine you've got some sort of implement on the front of your body. You're going to unlock your knees just a little bit. And what that does, that allows you to stack your ribcage over your pelvis, or as I describe it, it's called stacking the system. You take a brief inhale. So before, in a back squat, you've got to arch really hard. Now, if you've got that stacked system and you inhale, you get pressure three-dimensionally. It's like having a 3D weight belt right? So you've got pressure the front, the sides, the back of your abdomen. So now you've got a really stable core. And instead of sitting way back, I want you to sit down and do your best to keep the rib cage stacked over the pelvis. So what you find is number one, you immediately squat deeper. Number two, I think you feel more abs. You feel more hamstrings, not just hamstrings, but you feel more abs, quads, glutes. You probably feel your hamstrings to a degree because they're controlling your pelvic position. You can push out of the bottom, So for your gen pop clients, it's way easier to coach them. There's less pressure on those sensitive areas like the back and the hips for your athletes. When you're stacking that system and you're teaching them to squat down and up, you've got an exercise that transfers amazingly well to a vertical jump because that's how you should jump, right? Like if you have to shoot your hips really far back and your tibia are vertical, again, great way to squat. It's an awful way to load a vertical jump. So it's apples to oranges, but, A lot of times when you see powerlifters coach the squat, that's fine if your goal is to move max weights. If you want to squat more athletically or deeper or in a a way that I would describe, I hate this word too, but more functional for life and for sports. I think the way that I described it is is superior in that regard.
1: Why do you hate the word functional? Because you think it's just like (laughs) overused. It's like like (laughs) movement
0: quality. There's nothing to it. Like, what does it mean? So Mm -hmm. movement quality. I wrote a whole article about this, but like movement quality to a power lifter. Their idea of a a good movement quality squat is so much different than the one that I described for athletes, right? So you got to give context. Hmm. So what does functional mean? The functional thing got bastardized years ago because it was like functional training and it's somebody standing on like uh, whatever, BOSU ball, right? Doing like a single leg RDL. Like I've never seen somebody in sport (laughs) or in life ever do something like this, but this is now functional. So it's like functional is fine, but give me give me some functional for what? It. Yeah. Functional for what, right? Because functional for powerlifting is different for sport, which is different from functional to pick up things around my house and run around with my kids. So just yeah. qualify the statement.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. I think also um the one thing I want to say about clients is I think that sometimes clients' vision gets very clouded and they get mesmerized by Oh, but I do just want to squat the most weight possible. Like they get very enthralled by that, but they don't actually understand why. So I feel like that's also a coaching moment that you can have with someone of like, hang on, like, can we understand the why? Like, why is it necessary that we get a 200 pound squat? What -hmm. is that really getting you? Yeah. Just having that conversation.
0: Such a great point. And, And you said it best. Start with why. Like, why do they want to do that? And if they can't really like elaborate on it, okay, it's probably not the goal. But then number two, I would always say, okay, that's great. What are you willing to sacrifice to get there? Mm. Right? Because tell you what, so a while back I interviewed a guy named Chris Duffin who came on my podcast. He's working to be the only guy that has squatted and deathlifted a thousand pounds. Wow. So yeah, he's strong. So <laughs> he was telling me, like, do you want to know my program to deadlift a thousand pounds? I said, sure. He's like, I deadlifted every day for like a year and I never squatted. So it's like that complete removal of anything extraneous that allowed him to do that so that's great maybe your goal is to squat 200 pounds what are you willing to sacrifice to get there you know and those people are willing to sacrifice a lot health movement quality whatever that means to us mobility longevity there's a lot of sacrifices so i'm okay with any goal as long as you know there's pros and cons to it let's talk about those and if you still want it by all means let's do it
1: i love that such a good point I want to shift a little bit and talk a bit about you. I heard you talk about this on a podcast quite recently uh, within the last couple of weeks, but you were talking about how you've learned the importance of taking care of yourself, um, putting yourself first, no matter how crazy life gets, no matter what demands are on you from the family or the businesses. Yep. Can you tell me about how you came to that realization?
0: Yeah, well, I'm a really slow learner, so I think it took way longer than it probably should have, but... First off, it's important to note that I think I'm like a lot of coaches In a lot of ways we are people pleasers at our core, right? It's part of what gets us into this. We also have this like servant type approach to our life, which is healthy in some regards. We care about others. We want to serve others. That's why we're in this field. But at the same time, it can get to an extreme where our ability to service others is compromised because we're not servicing and taking care of ourselves. And so for me... It was just this realization of like, look, I'm not really happy with where my body's at. Uh, I did some blood work, my hormone levels, my adrenal levels, not where they needed to be. So I just needed to take like a a good look in the mirror and say, look, man, like I'm not where I want to be in life. And so I basically broke it down and I said, okay, what things do I need to do to fix this? And I said, I need to train consistently. I need to make sure my nutrition is consistently on point. That doesn't mean like zealot like, you know. It's not 100% uh, perfect, but you know, 80 to 90% efficient. I need to sleep regularly. My sleep was awful. My wife bought me an Aura ring for Christmas last year that tracks like sleep and all that, yeah. and I was maybe getting 40 to 45 minutes a night of deep sleep, which is not not, not good, yeah. not enough. And then meditation. So that was like the fourth piece, and I just said, look. I need to do these four things on a consistent basis because I knew life is a great indicator of kind of where you're at and what you're doing well and what you're not. Right. And so I just, over time realized like, look, when I don't eat well, I'm moody and irritable. If I don't train for like a week, which doesn't happen often, but when it does, I am miserable to be around and I'm snappy and Mm -hmm. moody. So don't need that. If I'm not sleeping enough, it's like these four things, if I don't do them consistently, I see the negative side effects, but on the flip side, I know when I do them consistently, I see all the positive side effects. I'm a better husband. I've got more time and energy for my kids. I'm more connected with them. I'm not scatterbrained. I do better work. I can have these really clear focused, you know, deep work sessions where I am creating content where I'm dialed in when I'm coaching my clients. So for me, it was just having this stark realization of this time that I set aside for myself while others may deem it as selfish and maybe it is selfish i don't know i'm not going to judge myself but it's like even if it is selfish it's with the intention of being better for all the people that i do serve and all the people that i care about in my life so mm-hmm. yeah it it does take time right like there's no way around it you can't can't work out 5 minutes a day and hope to have the effects that you want but if you do those four things religiously it trickles down to everything else and so as soon as i just got really clear on that and got clear on the fact that i have to take care of myself first everything else in my life immediately got better.
1: That's awesome. It's so interesting how sometimes we think that prioritizing those things takes away from our time, right? But in reality, when you prioritize them, all of a sudden that other time that you have can be spent in such a more meaningful way and you can be that much more present and efficient and relationships are deeper and all of this stuff. So
0: Yeah, it's literally quality over quantity. Right. Like we get so caught up in, we'll I'll just do more. And that was always my mindset. Well, I'll just work more or I'll just put in longer hours. And, you know, again, 17, 18 years into this, I started to realize like, this is not sustainable. Hmm. Right. And I think that's a really stark realization too. You get, you know, you're young, I'm 41. So I've been doing this 20 years now. And I realized like, look, I can't do split shifts all day like I used to. Right. I can't work six days a week. Like I used to, I can't obsess over work 24 seven. So I had to find some semblance of balance. It's like taking one step back to take three steps forward. Because what I also found was, I think of it as levels, right? So if I take care of myself, the next level is my family, my wife, my kids. But when I take care of those two things, everything at work is better. And again, it's like, oh, you can't imagine taking time away. But like, try it for three months. Do those things religiously for three months. And you will never want to go back because I guarantee you'll see the benefit.
1: Yeah, that's so true. I love that. Thank you. It's interesting that you're talking about sleep. Sleep is something that i have um, doing a lot of research on lately. I've read a couple yep. of books and I ran a sleep workshop for our um, all day fit community oh, yeah. last cool. week. Yeah. So I'm curious what kinds of things you changed in your sleep to make it better.
0: So man, it's funny. I, I was obsessed with sleep for about a year or two, like reading all the books and whatever podcasts. So this was not the scientific method of let's take one thing out. And no, this was like the kitchen sink approach. I changed everything. So first off I made a really concerted effort to sleep in 90 minute cycles. So instead of the eight that everybody talks about, either seven and a half or nine trying to get in somewhere in that range. More importantly than that, even, you know, we already kind of had some of the environmental stuff down, like the room was dark and You know, the room was cool enough, but like, I think most importantly is the 90 minute pre-sleep routine. Mm. Um, And I don't know if you have something like this. Some people would call it like a sleep hygiene routine, but about 90 minutes out, there's no TV, no electronics, like shut that off. I'll do like a contrast shower because you describe it as running hot, but I have a tendency to just run hot all day. You know, I'm going and I'm excited and I got stuff going on, but that kind of helps me start to shut my system down. I'll do like some stretching I really like mobility at that point. It's too active. So like some stretching or breathing or resets. Brain dump is huge. Getting all those thoughts and ideas out of your brain. I'll plan my next day so I know what I'm going to do. And then whenever possible, 45 to 60 minutes of reading before awesome. bed because just kind of shuts everything down. I'll do like 10 deep breaths. Kiss my wife goodnight and that's it. So the pre-sleep routine I think is huge. Like that's something where it is, it's a, a, man, now we're talking about meditation, that's time and training and the pre-sleep routine. Well, that's 90 minutes, but these things set you up so that, you know, those hours you are at work or the hours you are coaching or the hours you're with your family, you're truly present versus just kind of half there all the time.
1: Yeah. And it makes the whole thing sustainable.
0: Absolutely. Right. We're, we're in this for the long game. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you got to think long game.
1: For sure. Could you tell us about your complete coach certification?
0: Yes, I would love to. Let me tell you again, I love talking about all the things that I did wrong. So (laughs) way back in the day, Eric Cressy and I created this product called Magnificent Mobility. And it was a DVD and it was all these mobility exercises. which you laugh now because there's Instagram and YouTube and all these other platforms. You just go get that stuff for free. But we created this DVD and it was like a massive seller. And so I thought, oh, well, this is what you do. You create something you're interested in and people buy it. So until like 2018, 2019, this is what I did. I would be interested in something and I would create it and people would generally buy it. And sometimes there'd be more or less sales, but it was just like my way of creating something deeper than just an article or just a video clip. It's like, here is like everything I know about this topic at this point in time. But it got to a point where, I was like, and I just, I'm constantly in this cycle of create something, market it, sell it. And then it's like, it's dead or it'll kind of sell for a while, but then it dies off. So what I wanted to do instead was like triple down. Like, what is my coaching system? What do I be, what do I want people to know about me and how I do things? So that's what really got me started thinking about this. It started about 2018, just starting to detail all of the things that I do in a session, whether it's how I lay out a program, how I progress or regress an exercise how I communicate with my clients and athletes. I mean, everything. And so I started laying it out. I had this monster mind map. And then this last year, I went in the gym, I just shot it all and created ancillary materials. So like, hey, you know, here's like the 10 exercises I'll use to help somebody squat more effectively from they really, really suck uh, to they want to lift heavy, heavy things. And I just laid everything out that I could. And that is now what I call the complete coach certification. So it's the 20 years of blood, sweat, and tears that I've spent at continuing education seminars and you know grinding on the gym floor. It's all of that put into a product that will hopefully help young trainers and coaches start with a system that I never had growing up, right? I learned so many things by mistake or through just screwing stuff up you know, trying to teach kids that had no business how to back squat, how to back squat and realizing, oh, wait, if I put this kettlebell in their hands, I give them two cues and they squat well, you know, so it's like all of those things that maybe we take for granted now, but it's a complete system of programming, coaching, cueing, progressions, regressions that you can take and use and start applying with your clients and athletes virtually over a long weekend.
1: Wow, that sounds awesome. Thank you. so much good information. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Thank you. It's very cool. It's one of those things where it's overwhelming when you look at it and you look at that mind map and there's so many things that you want to cover, but at the same time, really gratifying the day that you finally push it out to the world and you realize, no, this is filling a need that a lot of people have. And it's helping them fill in a lot of gaps that either they knew they had, or even in a lot of cases, didn't know they had to help them get better success with their people. For
1: sure. Cool. Have you had any guests on your podcast that have really surprised you?
0: Hmm. In what way? What do you mean by surprised?
1: We're, maybe we're talking about something in a way that surprised you or you didn't yeah. expect them to be so eloquent or something like that.
0: Uh, okay. I'll tell you who I am just constantly so impressed by. And I don't know why he seems to really enjoy me, um, but I love Stuart McGill. Stu McGill has been on my show twice now. He lets me call him Stu, first of all. Best mustache in the game. Um, Sat there with him at seminars, drank beers with him. He's just an awesome human and he's one of those guys where, you know, I've, I've been around pro athletes. I've been around celebrities. I've been around the best in this industry and I am just constantly so impressed with him and his command over his knowledge. He knows so much about the spine and We could even disagree about stuff. And he's okay with that because you know what? He's got so much research and evidence behind what he does, but it's just his presence and his command over his topic. It's like, this dude is not playing games when it comes to spines. And so he's somebody I've had him on twice now. I always learn stuff, but just his command over that topic is really awe inspiring to me. And I just think, man, when I'm Stu's age, I hope people look at me with that same degree of respect and say, oh, wow, this dude really knows what he's talking about when it comes to coaching.
1: Cool. Someone that I definitely admire from afar, and I would love yeah. to have a chance to speak with him at yeah. some
0: point. He's amazing. He's amazing.
1: Cool. Love it. All right, Mike, I just have one final question for you. Okay. This is the question I ask everybody that comes on the podcast. Okay. What makes you excited to get out of bed in the morning?
0: Before this show, I was actually recording a a different podcast, and we got on this topic of, you know, what is the meaning of life? And that's a big, heady topic, right?
1: Wow, yeah. (laughs) Um,
0: And the guy I was talking to at first, he said he thought it was happiness. But I think happiness is a derivative of making an impact. And I always tell people at this point, I'm 41. I'd like to think I'm not necessarily on the back half of life yet, but I'm getting somewhere in that range um, if I'm being optimistic. So, like the idea of leaving a legacy behind is important. And that in itself is a big word. And I don't use it to be in any way narcissistic, but it's like trying to make a really positive impact. That's, I think, the thing that drives me these days is making a positive impact. And, you know, obviously close to home, my wife, my kids, I want to make a massively positive impact there. They're the people that I spend the most time with, right? But then, like, then it's like circles from there. The next would be my work staff at IFAST and making a positive impact with them, my athletes. Then we take another step out. Then it's RTS and it's all the people that I have exposure to via, you know, social media and my website and all that and trying to make a positive impact on them. So that's what drives me every day. It's like being a good human first, that's like the core, but then being a great coach, being a great mentor, being somebody that drives our industry and our profession forward. That's what gets me up and gets me, gets me going every day. So. Awesome. Thank you.
1: All right. If people are interested in getting in touch with you, seeing some of your content, um, yep. maybe getting in on your complete coach certification, yep. where do they find you? How do they go about doing that?
0: Yeah, I'll make it super simple. So com. That's my website. You can find all the social media there. And there's well over a thousand pieces of content, whether it's articles, podcasts that I've recorded, videos, There's so much free information there. You could look for probably years on end and not get through all of it. And it's all free. So robertsontrainingsystems.com. If you're interested in the Complete Coach Cert, it's very simple. It's completecoachcertification.com. And if you register for the insiders list, you save $200 when I launch again in March. So pretty sweet deal. And if you're at all interested, I would ask you to go just get up, get on the insiders list so that you know when it goes live. And if you're interested, you can save some money along the way.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Casey. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of how do you feel? Make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast so that you don't miss an episode. I release a new episode every Monday morning to start your week off right. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher, on CastBox, and through the podcast website, howdoyoufeelpodcast.com. I appreciate so much your ratings and reviews, so if you like what you're hearing, then please submit a rating, write a review. Everyone means so much to me. All right, guys. Happy holidays. I hope that everyone has an amazing holiday season. And as always, remember, get out there and do something that makes you feel good today.